Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we catch up on the latest at the 2021 Africa Cup of Nations with Senegal playing Egypt in Sunday's final. Also, we assess how the local coaches have performed in comparison to the foreign coaches at the tournament. And we look at how teams have to get used to playing football in this COVID era. Plus, Stuart on the English Premier League and the transfer window as Watford now have 10 African players. That's coming up later, but let's start at the Africa Cup of Nations where Egypt beat Cameroon 3-1 on penalties on Thursday night at the Olembe Stadium in Yaoundé after it ended 0-0 after extra time. This sets up a final against Senegal, meaning that Liverpool teammates Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane will face each other in the final. For the home fans, great disappointment and Cameroon will play Burkina Faso in the third and fourth place playoff on Saturday. Well, the Egypt-Cameroon semi-final was low on entertainment but high on tension. Cameroon had the better of the chances, but when it got to the shootout, they missed three penalties and perhaps crumbled under the pressure. Egypt goalkeeper Gabaski saved two penalties from Harold Mukudi and from James Leah Siliki, while Clinton and Gia put his spot kick wide, which gave Egypt the victory and the place in the final. Uh, Cameroon had the better of the chances uh, in the 120 minutes of play, hitting the woodwork twice. Mohamed Salah was pretty quiet. He had one shot uh, almost on target from outside the area and uh, had a chance on a breakaway as well, but Andre Anana thwarted him before he could latch on to the ball. Also, we saw the Egypt coach Carlos Quiros sent off for arguing with the referee, and uh, that means he will not be on the bench for Sunday's final. Uh, meanwhile, in the first of the semi-finals, Senegal had beaten Burkina Faso 3-1 with a tight goalless first half, and then all the goals coming in the final 20 minutes. Senegal going 2-0 up through Abdou Jallo and Bamba Jeng, then Burkina Faso pulling one back through Blatty Toure, and Sadio Mane sealed it for the Taranga Lions, who are in their third final and looking to become champions of Africa for the first time. On the other hand, Egypt, seven titles already, looking to extend that record total. Well, it's certainly been an exciting tournament with some great football and many surprises along the way. Uh, sadly, eight people were killed in a stampede ahead of one of the games and that cast a shadow over things. Uh, but on the pitch, we saw Ghana and the defending champions Algeria going out at the group stage. Nigeria exited at the round of 16, having won all three group games. The Comoros made it through to the group stage and Sierra Leone nearly got there too. And the Gambia's thrilling debut AFCON appearance ended with a 2-0 loss to Cameroon in the quarterfinals. They were the lowest-ranked side at the tournament, and few expected them to go that far. Indeed, their ranking is so low that they'll have to play in the preliminary stage next month for qualifying for the next edition of the Nations Cup. Here's forward Musa Barrow, who plays for Bologna in Italy. He scored twice at the tournament. In this team, we don't have a star, you know. Without my teammates, I couldn't have, I couldn't have achieved that, so... I give all thanks to them and the coach, so we move forward, we move forward. We take the positive things and we move forward. We're proud, you know, happy, proud, because uh, no one expects us to, to reach this level, but we are happy, we are happy. What are the positives you take away from this tournament? 
we could compete, you know. The, uh, the positive thing about this tournament that we took away that we could compete, you know. As a nation, we are growing, you know. As a nation, also our football is improving, so I'm very happy. For were you that. surprised about the way your team played here in this tournament? Were you surprised? No, no, hey, hard work pays off, you know. If you train as a team, you play as a team, then hey, what you train, you try to apply on the pitch, so that is what we did, and we reached this level, but actually we lost today against Cameroon, so we accept, you know. Hey, nothing, hey, when you lose against Cameroon, bro, we are Gambia, you know. When you lose against Cameroon, they came with a game plan to to try to play crosses, you know, and they, they scored, you know. So right now I look forward uh, to going back to my club and then focus till the end of the season, you know. Since I've been tested the AFCON, I'm sure you want to be back here again for the next AFCON next year. Of course, of course. You want to be back, uh, coming with stronger motivation, you know, and try to compete and we see what the AFCON have for us again. That's Musa Barrow asking for your thoughts on social media this week. Uh, was this one of the greatest Africa Cup of Nations? And what were your highlights? Uh, certainly AFCON 2021 gave us a lot of exciting football, uh, lots of upsets as well. As I say, sadly, eight people lost their lives in a stampede ahead of one of the games. Uh, but overall, how would you rate this edition of the tournament? And what were your highlights? You can post a comment on our Facebook page. That's Planet Sport Football Africa. Or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Was this one of the greatest Afcons, and what were your highlights personally? So the final will pit a foreign coach against a local coach with Aliou Cisse for Senegal and Carlos Quiroz, the Portuguese for Egypt. Of the 24 teams at the tournament, 15 were local and 9 were foreign. It's a higher proportion of local coaches than usual. Uh, What did you make of that stat, Ida? Well, we have one in the final, Steve, Aliou Cisse. And for the second consecutive time, that definitely sends a message. And remember in 2019 that there were two local coaches in the final. And it was the first time since 1998, Steve, 21 years, that two locals were facing off in the final of the Afghan. The irony for me, at least, is that we speak of these things as a rarity, you know, but in reality, they shouldn't be because we are in Africa, the home of the Africa Cup of Nations. But yes, such gains, I'd like to think, are doing something to boost the confidence in local coaches. And uh, going back to what you mentioned, Steve, 15 out of 24 being local coaches currently is progress, well over 60%, you know. In Egypt 2019, for example, it was actually the opposite. It was 15 out of 24 who were foreign. The Nations Cup has only ever had one edition where all coaches were local. And for that, we have to go back to the 1965 edition in Tunisia, Steve, when all six participants had local coaches. After that, it wasn't until 2002 in Mali when uh, the African coaches were more, with nine Africans, seven foreign. But it would get worse, you know, before it got better, because at the 2015 edition in Equatorial Guinea, uh, this was when the Afghan was a 16-team tournament, Steve, only three of the coaches were local. 
But look, a lot has happened in the last couple of years, you know, to build the case for local coaches. I mean, we now have the likes of Pizzo Mosimane, who set so many records in the continent as a black African coach from sub-Saharan Africa. We have Nigerian and Dubuisi Egbo, you know, who became the first African coach to qualify a club for the UEFA Champions League, you know. Well, since the first Afghan in 1957, there have been 32 editions of the tournament. 15 have been won by African coaches. Now, most notably, there's Charles Kumfi Jamfi of Ghana and Hassan Shihata of Egypt. Now, they won the trophy three times each with uh, their respective countries. Steve, allow me to digress. On the other hand, you know, we have also seen very successful coaches, I will say, like Herb Renard from France, you know, who's won it twice with two different countries, you know, that being Zambia and Ivory Coast. And look, the dreamer in me would love to imagine a day where we can be able to say that an African coach has won the Euros, for example, with two different European countries, you know. I can only dream. Yeah, so one day, hopefully. And Ivory Coast might be moving from a foreign coach to a local coach. It's expected that Patrice Beaumel, their French coach, will be fired after their round of 16 exit. And Colo Toure, the Ivory Coast legend, might take over. He's the Leicester City assistant manager. He's been part of the Elephants technical staff since 2017. So this is the first Africa Cup of Nations being played in the COVID era and there have been allegations and controversies from the opening game onwards with teams missing players due to positive tests and allegations that results have been rigged to favour Cameroon and with the teams being allowed to bring a squad of 28 instead of 23 players as a COVID contingency. Well, tests have been carried out independently and the tournament regulations state that the team must play a match as long as they have 11 players available. Even if they have no goalkeepers available, they must still fulfil the fixture. And we saw that in the Cameroon-Comoros game where Comoros had to use a defender in goal. Now, Sue Detambe is the Secretary-General of the Southern African football body, Kosafa. She's on duty at the AFCON, and she says that we just have to get used to playing in the COVID era with these challenges and procedures. Absolutely, because, you know, otherwise football uh, sport uh, in general is, you know, will just stagnate. So when you've got a major continental world, really, championship uh, happening right here in Cameroon at the moment, and CAF has taken cognizance of, um, I think, some challenges during uh, the, the club championships with with service providers, i.e., you know, the laboratories, and has brought in um, an internationally recognized external a laboratory to to be conducting all of the team's tests so so that we can put paid you know to to those negativities you know about a laboratory host country laboratory doing doing those so they've done their homework and and paid due diligence in in that respect uh, they've uh, identified um, isolation centers as and when is is necessary but uh, i think the teams are, are kind of taking it on the chin so the, the, the game must go on. You know, it's, it's a whole industry besides just the, the, the players. That's Sue Detam, the Secretary General of the Southern African body, Kasafa. Uh, so, Ida, she says this is how football is for now, uh, that we have to accept it.
Frankly, Steve, we might just have to because, look, as you've heard, the game has to go on, you know. And uh, when you focus on the Afghan, for example, and there have been so many cases, we were just talking about Senegal. Remember how hard hit their team was, especially in the group stage. You saw what happened with Comoros there. Tunisia hit by at least 12 cases at one point in time, I believe. And we have previously talked about weaponization of COVID, you know, all the way even from the CAF Champions League Confederation Cup seasons. And there were genuine fears, you know, that it was being used in this way. But Steve, if that is indeed the case, and I'm not saying it's not, but if that is the case across the board, because I am looking at this from a holistic, you know, entire perspective, if you will, then how does one explain some of these curious cases? For example, with the Teranga Lions, because there were six players who did not even leave Senegal after testing positive while still in Dakar. That has nothing to do with the testing centers in Af- at the Afcon, sorry. And uh, having those independent testing centers, well, it should have eased the situation. But Steve, As long as there's COVID, then these allegations will continue, at least to me, no matter how well organized, how well structured a situation is. Well, thanks, Ida. Yes, it looks like it's something that we'll have to get used to. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart on the transfer window. Will Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang do well at Barcelona? You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA and you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive there. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. To social media now, we've been posting a question every day on our social media pages throughout the Africa Cup of Nations. Let's pick out some of the comments on one of the questions we asked, which is, uh, who are the AFCON players who could be going places? There's been some great talent on display at the tournament. Some of the stars are playing at home or in minor leagues around the world. So we asked which emerging talents at the Nations Cup do you think could attract interest from top English and European clubs? Uh, first, we heard from Lister Liko George and Dalama in Malawi. He says Charles Tom, the Malawi goalkeeper who plays for local club Silver Strikers. And engineer Zara Boy in Nigeria goes for another Malawian. He says Gabardino Mango, who scored what must be the goal of the tournament, that spectacular long-range drive against Morocco. Uh, Shadi Sami says the Ethiopian defender Ashalu Tamene. And Suleiman Sonko in the Gambia says Carl Toko Akambi of Cameroon and Musa Barrow of the Gambia. Uh, both playing for pretty good clubs. Barrow's with Bologna in Italy and Akambi's playing for Lyon in France. Uh, Mamadou Cham from the Gambia says, I go for Musa Barrow. He should be in the English Premier League, says Mamadou. Uh, Bilai Kamara in Sierra Leone says the Burkina Faso teenager, Dango Watara, the player who was sent off in their quarterfinal. That boy is prolific and promising, says Bilay. And uh, Watara is playing for Lorient in France. Also, Bilay mentions Musa Kamara from Sierra Leone and teammates Issa Kalon and Kevin Wright Kake. Barry Amin is also in Sierra Leone. He mentions Musa Noah Kamara, the centre forward who scored Sierra Leone's first goal in the tournament. And again, 
Spain in Sierra Leone, Mohamed Mbali says Mohamed Kamara, the goalkeeper, he kept a clean sheet against Algeria and won the Man of the Match award and was outstanding throughout and even saved a penalty against Ivory Coast, says Mohamed. And Akomba Dessa says Manchester United need to watch the Sierra Leone goalkeeper Mohamed Kamara, who certainly did have an impressive tournament. We'll give a final word on this one to the Senegal legend Kalilou Fadiga, who spoke to the CAF website and mentioned three players. Uh, he picked out Alpha Jallo from the Gambia, Gabadinio Mango from Malawi, and Zimbabwe's Gerald Takwara, who played especially well in defence in the opening game against Senegal. Well, thanks very much for all of those comments. And this week on social media, asking for your reflections on the Africa Cup of Nations. Was this one of the best tournaments ever? And what were your personal highlights? You can post a comment on our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Now, on our website, which is planetsport.tv, we've got a new blog up there, and it's called Spare a Thought for the Referee, how it's a thankless job being a referee and how we all need the courage and wisdom that referees need. With more, here's Planet Sport Football Africa's Ifrem Tagu. It's a thankless job being a referee. You get very little credit for getting decisions right and endless criticism when you get them wrong. Both teams are in your face arguing about everything from fouls to corners and throw-ins, and that's not even mentioning the reaction of managers, coaches and the fans. Yes, technology has moved on at speed, so you have more help than ever before, thanks to the VAR and multiple camera angles, but your every move is put under the microscope and analysed, and there is very little mercy shown if you make a mistake. No wonder many nations find it hard to encourage people to train as referees. And so the standard can sometimes be inconsistent. For ex-players, there are much greater rewards to be had in coaching, management or TV punditry. Professional football desperately needs high-quality officials, and it's by no means a simple task qualifying. Maintaining your standards and getting to officiate at major tournaments in the top leagues. Referees need to be physically fit and to have great powers of concentration, a confident manner that can cope with the pressure of important games with plenty at stake, and they need, wherever possible, to earn the respect of players and managers. It's a tough ask. It's a daunting task. And for many, they need wisdom, courage, and a thick skin that can take criticism. Those are the kind of qualities that leaders in many fields need to have. But whether we're in leadership at work or simply trying to do the best for our families, they are great virtues to seek. Followers of Jesus are told in the Bible to be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's Joshua chapter 1 verse 9. And reminded in James chapter 1 verse 5, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. So spare a thought for the referees, who need wisdom and courage in every game. And next time you need those qualities in daily life, ask God. Thanks, Ephraim. That's Ephraim Tagu there. You can read this blog on our website. That's planetsport.tv. You click on the blog section at the top on the right, and the blog is called Spare a Thought for the Ref. 
Right now, let's go to our European football expert, Stuart Weir, in the UK, and a lot to talk about with the transfer window closing on Monday. And Gabon star Pierre Emerick Aubameyang made a deadline day move to Barcelona from Arsenal for a massive pay cut. How do you see him doing at Barca, Stuart? Well, first of all, Steve, I just want to say it's a really sad end to his Arsenal career. He scored 68 goals in 128 league games, but Mikel Arteta has simply lost patience with him because of repeated breaches of discipline. It's a good question how well he'll do at Barcelona. Remember that the club he's joining is a struggling one, already knocked out of the Champions League and currently in fifth place in the Spanish League, 15 points behind Real Madrid. You know, there's no Messi, they're not the force they once were. I think he can score goals for Barcelona, but only if he really puts his mind to it, prioritises his football in a way that Mikel Arteta thinks he has not been doing at Arsenal. Now, the finances are interesting. With Arsenal giving him a free transfer, when they could certainly have got a fee for him, just to get him off the payroll. You say he's taking a massive cut, but apparently he's been given something like £8 by Arsenal to agree to break his contract with them, where he went on apparently something over 300,000 a week. So I think he'll come out of it all right, but what he can do at Barcelona remains to be seen. Yeah, indeed, there was so much fanfare and hope when he joined Arsenal, they say he's leaving uh, on bad terms. And what else stood out for you this transfer window, Stuart? Well, starting at the top of the table, Manchester City's only new acquisition is uh, Julian Alvarez from River Plate in Argentina, and then they immediately loan him back to River Plate. But City also sold Ferran Torres to Barcelona for $70 million. Liverpool again just one signing, Luis Diaz, Colombian from Porto. The fee is about $60 million, which to me seems quite a lot of money for somebody who's never yet played for a top league club. Chelsea and Manchester United have no new players, but Manchester United have sent three of theirs out on loan. Anthony Martial to Seville, Donny van der Beek to Everton, and Ahmed Diallo to Glasgow Rangers. Now, I'm sad to see the Ivorian Diallo leave. He was signed last season as an 18-year-old, had two starts in the Premier League, and was really looking forward to getting more game time this season. And of course, in the summer transfer window, United signed Jadon Sancho and Ronaldo, who both play more or less in his position. So with no game time at all this season, he's gone on loan to Rangers and scored on his debut. Now, looking more towards the bottom of the table, Newcastle United, in fact, have been the busiest team in the division, and they have signed five players. That's Kieran Trippier from Atletico Madrid, Chris Wood from Burnley, Bruno Guimaraes from Lyon, Matt Target from Aston Villa, Heat on Loan, and Dan Byrne from Brighton. And as the battle to stay in the Premier League continues, Watford have got four new players and three of them are Africans. Hassan Kamara, an Ivorian from Nice, we mentioned, I think, last week. Ido Kayembe uh, from the Congo, he's 23 and has played in Belgium for six years. And Samuel Kalu from Bordeaux, a Nigerian, he's also 24, and he's been seven years in France. Now, this means, Steve, that Watford have now got 10 African players. Norwich City, surprisingly, have done no business at all in the transfer window, meaning that the new manager, Dean Smith, 
has got to work with the squad that he inherited. And finally, many people will be absolutely delighted to hear that Christian Eriksen has signed for Brentford. Remember his cardiac arrest during the European Championships last summer. Great to see him able to play again. Yeah, I wonder what impact Eriksen will make at Brentford. Interesting signing, that. Uh, So no English Premier League this weekend, except for the rescheduled game between Burnley and Watford on Saturday. And we have fourth-round action in the FA Cup. And Everton will play Brentford with a new manager. That's Frank Lampard. Can he revive the Toffees, Stuart? Lampard is one of the greatest players of his generation, playing over 100 times for England, 400 for Chelsea, 150 for his first club, West Ham United, and finally one season at Manchester City. As a manager, though, his experience is much more limited. He had one season with Derby County, he was then headhunted by Chelsea, and was Chelsea manager for a season and a half. In 2020, Chelsea finished fourth in the league, but he was fired the following January, halfway through his second season. When he was appointed to the Chelsea job, comments were made that perhaps it had come too soon for someone with just one year's experience as a manager. But equally, being fired after a season and a half seemed premature. But then, the Chelsea owner is not known for his patience. Everton are currently 16th, two places above relegation with only five wins and 24 goals in their 20 games this season. And with Lampard being appointed just as the transfer window was closing, he was really quick off the mark, signing Deli Alley from Tottenham. Alley's a great player, and I just hope that Lampard can restart his career. Then he's taken Donny van der Beek, Manchester United's expensive misfit, on loan to the end of the season. Lampard said you can feel the passion that Everton fans have for their club, and that is hugely important. For me, Everton is a unique club and you can really understand what the fans want to see. And the first thing they look for is fight and desire and that must be our baseline. But time will tell what he's able to deliver. Yeah, with those uh, new signings and uh, with the new manager, maybe better times ahead for Everton. And uh, going back to the transfer, Stuart, you've had a look at Manchester United's signings. No one can dispute that Manchester United have gone downhill since the days of Alex Ferguson. In the nine years since Fergie left, having held the job for 27 years, the club has had five managers in nine years. Five and nine years. Player recruitment has been poor. I'll give you some examples from the last three managers. Under Louis van Gaal, in two seasons, he spent $370 million. Successful signings were Luke Shaw and Ander Herrera. But then what about Angel Di Maria, Daily Brint, Rojo, Bastian Schweinsteiger, Memphis Depay, Morgan Schneiderlin, Anthony Martial. Hardly set the world alight. Then Jose Mourinho had two and a half years and he spent 490 million. Romelu Lukaku, Eric Bailly, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Mikatarian, Fred, Matic, Lindelof, Alexis Sanchez, Dallo and Paul Pogba. None of those, you could say, was an absolute standout success either for $490 million. And then Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, in three years, spent $530 million. Edison Cavani, Bruno Fernandes, Rafael Varane, Cristiano Ronaldo, Harry Maguire, Donny van der Beek, Alex Telles, Odian Igalo, Jadon Sancho, Aaron Wan-Bissaka, Dan James, Amadiallo. You know... It's an awful lot of money 
and an awful lot of players who really have not done the business. And perhaps as well as appointing a new manager, Manchester United need to have a good director of football who controls the transfers. Yes, and money can't uh, buy you success necessarily. And what else have you got for us, Stuart? Steve, there was an extraordinary occurrence in the League One game between my local club, Oxford United and Gillingham. Oxford were awarded four penalty kicks and Cameron Brannigan took all four and scored all four. (laughs) That actually reminded me, in a funny sort of way, of Martin Palermo, who took three penalties for Argentina against Colombia 20 years ago and he didn't score any of them. There was another very strange incident uh, last week involving the Liverpool goalkeeper Alisson. He was playing for Brazil against Ecuador and he was twice shown a red card but not sent off. In the first incident, the goalkeeper went to clear a bouncing ball and kicked an Ecuador player in the head. The referee showed a red card but VAR said it was just yellow. Later in the game, Alisson went to punch clear and punched an opponent rather than the ball. The referee showed him a yellow card, a second yellow card and a red. But VAR checked the incident to see whether it was a direct red and concluded it wasn't actually a foul. Extraordinary, and it doesn't end there. Ecuador watched Alisson being reprieved twice and saw their own goalkeeper sent off. Ecuador were awarded two penalties and VAR cancelled both of them. I think Ecuador must just have thought it wasn't their day. Finally, Steve, a really disturbing story. Mason Greenwood, the Manchester United striker, has been arrested by police who are investigating an incident of violence against a young woman. Greenwood spent three days and nights in police custody, has not yet been charged with any offence. Manchester United has stated that Greenwood will neither play nor train with the club while the police investigates continues. A really sad and disturbing report. Yes, indeed it is. Uh, thanks a lot, Stuart. Uh, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers and Ephraim Tagu in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.